Hi, sexy people. I'm Dr. Tammy, and welcome to The Trouble with Sex. Today, we have a provocative guest. She's incredibly accomplished and intelligent and intriguing. Join me in welcoming Ina Park. Ina is a doctor. She's also an associate professor at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. She's a medical consultant at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Division of STD Prevention, and medical director of the California Prevention Training Center. Dr. Park served as a co-author of the 2020 CDC STD Treatment Guidelines and is a contributor to the Department of Health and Human Services STI Federal Action Plan. She's a fierce advocate for public health and the author of what we're going to talk about today, her new book, Strange Bedfellows, Adventures in Science, History, and Surprising Secrets of STDs. Help us spread the love. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and take a minute to give us five stars or write a great review on Apple Podcasts. Not only do we love to hear your feedback, your support really makes a difference. It's going to help other people who are looking for advice about their relationships and sexual wellness. We have lots of amazing guests coming up, so subscribe so you don't miss a thing. We love and appreciate all of you, and thank you so much for your continued support. I want to welcome you, Dr. Park. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. Thank you, Tammy. I'm thrilled to talk today about STIs and STDs. First, I want to just define them for our listeners. So STD stands for sexually transmitted diseases and STI is mm-hmm. sexually transmitted infections. So before we go any further, can you just clarify the difference for our listeners? Because we seem to use them interchangeably and... I know that people sometimes will write me letters like, I can't believe you just said STD. It's really STI. Right. Well, so Tammy, can I walk us back just a, another step uh, before then? I don't know you know, if you remember, but I'm old enough to remember the term VD as well, which was also in use in the 70s, which you is venereal disease. You are dating us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what that implies that, so venery, which is the root of the word venereal, would imply that there's some sort of like immoral or illicit sexual behavior going on. And we know that sexually transmitted infections are transmitted in any situation, whether or not you're stably coupled, married, one night stand, any situation can transmit a sexually transmitted infection. So anyways, in, you know, in the 70s and 80s, we went to STD, sexually transmitted disease, which folks felt was more stigmatizing and more accurate. And then in the 90s, we got an increasing understanding of the fact that there's lots of sexually transmitted infections that are silent infections. They just go away on their own. You don't even know that you have them. And HPV or human papillomavirus is a perfect example of that. So folks said, well, why are we telling people they have a disease when they just have this silent infection that's just going to go away? And so, you know, STI, I think, is gaining in popularity. Some folks feel like it's less stigmatizing. Personally, you know you don't want either either of them in your pants, an an STD or an STI, Mm -hmm. but I am all for reducing stigma around these really common infections. So if STI is what you know, people feel less stigmatized by, I'm all for it. But just so you know, in my field of research, we study some diseases and some infections. So we use both terms interchangeably. <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm looking at the cover of your book, Strange mm-hmm. Bedfellows, and it's like a, a bed with white 
crinkled sheets and this giant red crab that's crawling out <laughs> of the, of the right. blankets, which is just genius. Well, you know, we wanted to do something that kind of let people know, hey, this is a book about science and STDs and, and sex, but we're not taking ourselves too seriously. And that is the tone of the entire book. So it has to start with the cover to say, come on and get into bed with us. Let's talk. You know what I mean? We're, we're not going to try to gross you out. This is not going to be a middle school sex ed class. This is you know, going to be fun and hopefully we'll have a good time. And you have a testimonial on your book by Mary Roach, the author of Bonk, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite books about sex. I interviewed uh, her a long time ago when her book just came out. And I feel like your book has the same sort of pithy descriptions in it. It's not a heavy medical book. It's really approachable. You really talk about uh, STIs in a way that people can read about. Some of the chapters are warts and all or a pox <laughs> on both your houses. Like you really mm-hmm. you really talk about it in a way that I think we need to know <laughs> the penis and the great wall of vagina. But it's so hard when the rubber meets the road. It's so hard to talk about because who wants to talk about crabs? I mean, right. really. <laughs> exactly. It's not something you sit around and talk about at the dinner table. No. And and I'm not trying to make that happen. I think that's unrealistic. But what I want folks to know is that these infections are so incredibly common. And I'm just going to pick on HPV again, just that every sexually active person is going to have it. So if you get an STI, it just means congratulations, you're a sexually active person. And that's all it means. So what I was hoping is just that, you know, any sexually active person could come to it and whether or not they are scientifically trained or interested, at least sort of get some information and have a good laugh. And, but, you know, I'm not making fun of STIs, but trying to lighten the topic so that even if you don't feel like you could talk about it at dinner, if it happens to you, you can understand, wow, this actually happens to almost everybody. So I don't feel so alone. I don't feel so ashamed or stigmatized by it. So, well, let's talk more about HPV and Mm -hmm. why is it that everyone gets it? What's the story? First of all, there's over 200 types of HPV now classified, but about 40 of them infect our genital tract. And it's just so easy to spread back and forth. Oh God, that sounds so, so scary. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the thing is, is, I want people to think about it. It's like the common cold of your vagina or penis or anus. I mean, it's, that's just, it's exactly what it is. And we have, a and, you know, to make parallels with COVID, because we're all dealing with that, we have a great vaccine against it as well. But the thing is, is I call in my HPV chapter, I talk about HPV as like glitter. It just goes everywhere. You know, once you get it, once you get it in the vaginal tract, it can show up in your anus. Even if you haven't put anything in there, it goes under your, you know, when you touch your genitals or the genitals of your partner, it goes under the fingernails and it stays there even if you wash your hands. So what I'm saying is like, it's just everywhere. Oh God. Those of you, I know those of you who are a little OCD are going to be having, you know, a moment of panic here, but- It's just something we're existing with it. It's almost similar to what we think about, Tammy, like the microbiome of bacteria that we know just live in and on us all of the time. HPV is like that. It's just such a normal part of our existence. And so that's what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to get people to understand how common HPV is and just get ready to get it because you're going to. So then should we not be afraid of it? I mean, it does cause cancer, right? Like it's a problem. Right. It does cause cancer. So, but I don't want us to be afraid of it at all because it's universal. So what I will say is that 
if you're under the age of 45, the vaccine's you know, age sort of range has been extended so that anyone up to the age of 45 can now get the HPV vaccine, regardless of gender. So I would say go out and protect yourself the best way that you can. And for folks who have a cervix who need to get you know, cancer screening, don't stop doing that. You know, I don't want you to become so comfortable with it that you say, I, it's not a big deal because it still can cause cancer. So I want folks to go out and get screened according to, you know, what their provider recommends that they do. But I want to change the frame of how we think about this particular virus to say, we all have it. We're all going to get it. I want to talk about you know, herpes, like what's the deal with herpes? Because didn't we all have herpes? Didn't, like <laughs> everyone in my generation have herpes? Yeah. I mean, you know, if we talk about herpes type one, which typically causes cold sores, but you can get that type in your genitals also. And then there's herpes type two, which I think we commonly think of more in associated with genital herpes, where you get those recurrent outbreaks. And right in the 80s, everyone, we felt like everybody had herpes. It was like one in five people did. And now it's becoming less and less common for reasons we don't totally understand. But now it's down to about one in eight um, people who have. Interesting. Yeah. But lots of folks still have the virus that causes cold sores. I mean, if you add up, you know, both the herpes type two and the herpes type one, almost everybody has one of those types. But the folks that have the recurrent genital herpes that often feel the most sort of stigmatized, that percentage of in the population is getting lower. Interesting. Interesting. So with all of these infections and diseases and horrible things that are crawling around all over us and inside of us, <laughs> you're kind of freaking me out. But what do you think is the biggest trouble with sex today, in your opinion? I think the biggest trouble with sex is that when we have sex, I'm going to bring it back to STIs that after the fact, we are so worried that if we actually go in and get tested, we might actually find something out that we don't want to know that a lot of us just go into denial and say, I'm not going to test unless I feel something is wrong because I don't want to have to disclose to people and I don't want to be rejected. Mm -hmm. And I think that is keeping us from being sexually healthy, Tammy. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what was before the pandemic driving STI rates absolutely through the roof. Wow. So I think, you know, we, it's easier for us to have sex and to think about the consequences of sex after the fact or to talk about it. And I think that's the biggest problem that we have because that inability to talk about it and, to get tested because we're afraid, I think, really hurts us in our ability to be a sexually healthy nation. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I mean, I can understand people's fear of being tested because that means if you find out you have something, you're going to have to tell your partner or you're mm-hmm. going to have to confront your partner like, did you give this to me? <laughs> like, exactly. why do I have this? Right. And some people would rather not know. And I completely understand that. But I think for female-bodied people, so many of these infections can be completely silent, Tammy. And then we know that they can cause problems with, you know, ectopic pregnancy, infertility, you know, all of these things that we don't want because if we want to have children later and yet an STI that happened, you know, 10, 15 years ago prevents us from doing that, we have a lot of regret about that after the fact. Yeah, so it's not really worth it, people, my sexy listeners. Don't be conflict avoidant. Go get tested. Yes, that's our message, right? Um, That's a, yes. And every STI can be, you know, 
either completely treated or at least controlled. So nothing to be afraid of. Every STI can be completely treated or controlled. That's a good positive message. Yes. So now what's happening with the pandemic? Has it like has it just killed off all our STIs because no one's going anywhere? You know what's so interesting, Tammy, is before the pandemic, I was just talking thinking about the waiting room at our sexual health clinic. I mean, business was booming, can I just say? And <laughs> then when we went into shelter in place and you know, people did take it pretty seriously. People were panicked. They stopped having casual sex as much. Uh, one thing that did happen, which I think is really interesting, is folks, you know, went, went increasingly online to do virtual dates and to hook up and sometimes to have, you know, like video sex or whatever, mm-hmm. or, you know, or have sexting back and forth with a partner. So on March 29th, which was those early days of shelter in place in 2020, Tinder had its highest number of swipes on record, 3 billion, oh my if God. you can imagine. I know. So people were still interested in connecting with other people. But just anecdotally from the patients that I see, a lot of people stopped having casual sex or they had a little sexual pod, just like two or three people that they were having sex with and nobody else. Mm-hmm. And then I think that we are seeing now pandemic fatigue. We know that it's real and people can only hold out for so long, Tammy. And they get bored of having sex with the same one or two people (laughs) and they want, yeah, or it's not working out. So increasingly my patients are reporting that they're back online, they're hooking up again. And, you know, we actually had a national shortage of STD testing kits. Oh, wow. Yes. For three months at the end of 2020. So naturally, we're going to see less infections because you couldn't even get a test. Wow. We were, yeah, it was crazy. I mean, there were some clinics where they absolutely had no tests. And so they were just treating people guessing what they might have and treating based on that. <laughs> it was it was the dark ages, again, for sexual health care. Oh yes. So people were just, you know, saying, I'm going to get tested because I'm going back out there. I don't care. Well, and yeah, or someone would come in, they have discharge and they're like, what do I have? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to treat you for these two things because it could be (laughs) either of these. And I mean, it was crazy. It was crazy time. But now we're back. We have test kits. People are having sex again. So I anticipate that we are going to see a immediate sort of return to the trends that we were seeing before where we were you know, already at the highest number of STDs reported to the CDC before the pandemic, and we're going to go right back. Well, I mean, that's a mixed bag right there. Like, it's almost like you would think that the rate of STIs would go down because people are learning from this pandemic. But now you're saying, no, 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 it's going to be like the roaring 20s and we're all going to go That's back exactly. out. It's going to be a big party. And- exactly. I mean, all of these young folks who were supposed to be not living at home and having casual sex and swapping partners, people got to make up for lost time, Tammy. <laughs> well, I know that it's so true. Like in a- Ashley Madison went from 15,000 signups a day to 17,000 signups a day. Yep. Just I am not surprised. Yeah, nope, I'm not surprised at all. So are, are younger people more open to being tested, you think? And people like my age are sort of conflict avoidant? I don't feel that that's true, honestly. Um, I would have to say... You know, I I know lots of folks in your age range who they've just be, made it part of their routine. And in fact, you know, some of my folks who are quite sexually active, it's like getting an oil change. They're like, oh, I had I had ten partners. I'm here. You know what I mean for my STD test. 
So I actually think for some folks who've been sexually active for longer, they've established a routine and they're okay with it. And then I'm hoping, I don't know if this is true or not, but that we've had some strides in our, you know, sex education so that young folks are not feeling so, you know, frightened and traumatized by the prospect. Yeah, Yeah, and stigmatized by having STIs. So I I have seen folks of all ages enthusiastically coming in to test. So is there one STI that's increasing more than others that you're seeing? I mean, unfortunately, the one we're seeing uh, one of the greatest surges in is, is in syphilis and particularly for syphilis among women of reproductive age, which means we have seen an enormous uh, increase in congenital syphilis. Syphilis? Yes. Remember, it was almost gone. Are we in the dark ages? What is going on with syphilis? It was almost gone. In 1999, they were actually talking about eliminating syphilis from the United States, but, you know, too soon. Uh, We have, we are now, for some populations, like I'm just going to say that for men who have sex with men, the rates of syphilis are, we're right back at the early 80s. So in terms of, yes. And, and what this is translated to is that for syphilis in women, you know, if you get, happen to get pregnant, don't know you have syphilis, then unfortunately that can lead to some serious birth defects and stillbirths for babies. So we have unfortunately seen a time where we have, you know, less than a hundred cases of mother to child transmission of HIV in this country. We're seeing over 1600 cases of congenital syphilis during that same time period. Is that something that you normally don't test for like prenatally? You normally do. You normally do, Tammy. You know, almost every person will get you know, it's it's mandated in, in all 50 states to get tested at your first prenatal visit. But what we've seen, and you've probably heard this as well, is that, you know, opioid use and crystal meth use has been up. And when folks are using those substances in pregnancy, then they are less likely to access prenatal care, as you can imagine. And so there are factors such as drug use that are really playing strongly mm. into the congenital syphilis epidemic because folks are just not coming in to get tested. They come in and they're already in labor, for example, and they didn't get any prenatal care. So those are the cases where we are, we're seeing, you know, the most serious and severe cases of syphilis in babies. So wait, am I wrong in assuming that there's a connection then between substance abuse and syphilis? There, oh, there definitely is for women, for sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a connection between substance use and STIs in general for everybody else, but there's a very special relationship that we've seen, especially with crystal meth use and syphilis in women and then congenital syphilis in the babies. Oh my God. I know. Wow. There's a lot out there. There's a lot, lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you've ever been interested in becoming a sex therapist or a sexuality counselor, find out more at integrativesextherapyinstitute.com or istitraining.com, I-S-T-I training.com. ISTI trains therapists to be the best sex and couples therapist that they can be. Classes are easy. They're online. You can download information anytime and apply today. That's istitraining.com, Integrative Sex Therapy Institute. Dr. Ina, tell us what your biggest message is to our listeners about these strange bedfellows, these STIs. What do you want to tell people? I want to tell folks that STIs have been with us ever since we've started having sex as human beings, and they are not going anywhere. The CDC actually just last month announced that 
one in five of us actually has an STI right now. Oh my God. And that means like at least one person in this room. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And it could be me, who knows? But uh, I think if folks understand that, and I'm not the sex police, so I can't go around all over the country and step into people's bedrooms and say, wait a second, put on a condom, please. And so all I can say is that the way to empower yourself around this is to go ahead and get tested. And that, you know, testing and being concerned about STIs and having a pleasurable and fun sex life are not two separate things. They go in hand in hand. Mm, Good. Very good advice. And so we have a question from Donna in DC. She Mm -hmm. says, I grew up in the 80s. AIDS had my generation terrified of STIs. It seems the younger generation uses condoms less. Is that true? How can I educate my teenagers about STIs without freaking them out? I mean, yeah, I think you so, should freak them out, but that's my, my, yeah. my opinion. <laughs> scared, scared straight, whatever. <laughs> well, and I think people should be honest about the fact that, you know, that STIs are very common. And so you can be honest without, you know, fear-mongering, I think. And I think it's a fine line, but I also grew up in the 80s and People are less afraid of HIV because starting in 1996, we had incredible, highly active antiretroviral therapy so that people with HIV are now living, you know, basically normal lifespans. And so there is a lot less to be afraid of. But I will say that what we're seeing is a lot more antibiotic resistance in certain STIs, including gonorrhea and a new one that we discovered in the 80s called mycoplasma. And so what I would tell folks you know, that, that are parents is essentially the only way to protect yourself from getting one of these bacteria that could be antibiotic resistant is to use a condom. But, but she's right that about half of young people when they first have sex are actually not using a condom um, at their at their first intercourse. Someone told me that girls are starting at a younger age on birth control pills and getting IUDs and getting under the skin pellets or whatever they are. And so they feel less inclined to pressure their male or penis owning partners to use condoms. And so that mm-hmm. contributes to less people using condoms because they think, okay, well, it's birth control. They don't think so much about STIs. You know, if you already have a a form of birth control you're using, it feels like they're doubling up, which feels like overkill. I I mean, is that true? Do you think that that plays a part? I do, Tammy. I really do. And so, so obviously we're just talking about, you know, female folks, female body folks sleeping with, you know, male folks or folks with the penis and absolutely the penetration of like long acting contraception, such as IUDs, which no one used to use unless they were a a person who'd already had children, but now, you know, really anyone can use them. And then implants, as you mentioned, Tammy, are also pretty popular. And um, and then, of course, there was always like the Depo-Provera and birth control pill. So absolutely, that is playing a role. And I'm so happy because, you know, we want less unplanned pregnancy also. But I think do, people do feel like, well, if I'm protected from a contraception standpoint, that should be good enough. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it does nothing to protect you from STIs. So what's going to be interesting is that there are some folks out there um, with the initiative for multi-purpose prevention technologies who are working on developing like a vaginal ring, for example, that has both contraception and then medication to prevent like herpes and HIV. Wow. Yeah. Some are actually looking into the devices to prevent 
you know, four or five different STIs. So if you could imagine having something like that, how cool would that be? Yeah, I want to get stock in that company. <laughs> that sounds like a great <laughs> so, idea. Yeah, so there's lots of folks collaborating across the nonprofit sector as well as with, you know, different government organizations to try to develop those multi-purpose products. Because right now, all we have are barriers. And, I, you know, I'm a cheerleader for condoms, but, you know, as you know, many people prefer not to use them. And that is what we're seeing, Tammy. And I'm, I'm glad on one hand, but also just understanding that that means we will have more STIs if people are not using barriers. <laughs> There's a great meme going around where it's like this young woman who's like, well, when I take birth control pills, I get bloated. I feel miserable. I lose my sex drive. You know, I, I can't sleep at night. My face breaks out and I really don't feel like having sex at all. And then there's a guy standing next to her. Well, when I use a condom, it's just uncomfortable. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and so, you it's know, it's true. so funny how what females will go through to, you know, prevent pregnancy and even STIs. And so it's a little bit harder to get people to use condoms for whatever reason. It's uncomfortable Mm -hmm. for whatever. Nobody likes to use a condom. No. And you know, it's interesting. Someone is trying to, this this company called Louie, let us wear it. They're actually trying to repurpose the internal condom. I don't know if you remember this, Tammy, from there was a, a female, they call it the female condom, which could be worn inside the vagina or inside the rectum. So they're trying to repurpose that and make it a little bit less noisy and a little smaller and more streamlined. So it'll be interesting. They're working on trying to get that product out. So I'll be curious to see if the uh, internal condom gets a little bit more traction as well. Something that uh, you know a female-bodied person or woman could control themselves. I, I think it's great to put the control back on the female, but it also it's like, okay, once again, we have to be responsible. I know, one more thing. I know. I know. it's tr- No, it's true. I'm a mother, so I'm like, do I have to do one more thing? It's that same sort of mentality of like, we take on so much as it is right. as women that I would love our you know, our male counterparts to take on some effort with the uh, STI protection as well. Yeah, I think they owe it to us. Yes. Um, So I have one more question from a gay male listener. I'm a gay man on Discovy. What are the STIs most common in the gay community now and how do I protect myself? Oh, great. So I'm sorry, is this question about Discovy or is this question about... I think it's what are the STIs most common in the gay community. Okay. So right now uh, among... Like cisgender men who have sex with men, syphilis is huge. And um, as I mentioned, the rates are close to what we were seeing in the 80s before the advent of HIV. And the other thing that's big right now in the gay community is gonorrhea. And chlamydia has always been around. I don't think it's, you know, doing especially worse. But one of the concerns that we have, especially for men who are giving oral sex to other men, is that the throat can be a place where antibiotic-resistant gonorrhea can actually be accelerated because gonorrhea that's deposited in the throat can actually exchange genes with other bacteria and give get antibiotic resistance that way. So those are two big ones that I would mention that I'm concerned about. But, you know, as, you know, one thing that you implied because he had asked about a drug maybe called Discovy is that's a drug for HIV prevention. Like an, it's a birth control sort of thing for HIV where you take it every day and it prevents HIV infection. That is also something that's possibly driving these high STI rates in the gay community as well. So I think PrEP, HIV pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP may can be contributing to the fact that we see lots of STIs right now in that community. So that was kind of leading me to my last question that I wanted to talk about, which is gonorrhea. Yeah. (laughs) Let's 
talk about gonorrhea. Any anytime. <laughs> you must be fun at parties. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying, Tammy. I'm, people ask what I do, and then they say, "Oh, sometimes it's silent, and then sometimes <laughs> it's like a 20 minute conversation because they're so excited to talk to me about and it." And sometimes it's, "Can you just look at this little sore that exactly. I have?" <laughs> And Tam, no, and Tammy, and Tammy, that has happened. That has happened. I'm just, you know, I have to admit. Uh, oh my God, that's hysterical. I know, I know. Or you hear the long conversation about, well, my husband gave me this yeah. infection. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I have heard every single story in the book around that. Yeah. What does it mean when I have this weird discharge? Is, is it because mm-hmm. my husband's cheating on me? Yeah. I'm going to send you all those questions because <laughs> I get a couple of those a day. She knows more than I do about difficult discharge. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go back to gonorrhea. Speaking yeah. of difficult discharge, what can you tell us? Well, this is one where, you know, I don't want to cause concern or fear in folks. Or but mass I panic. Do wanna, don't cause or mass, mass panic. panic. But I, or everyone just puts on a condom right now while they're sitting there <laughs> listening to the podcast just in case. But Oh no, what are you saying? You can catch it from a chair? So you can no, tell I, No, I'll just tell you I'm concerned. I am concerned about it because in December of 2020, which was not very long ago, the CDC actually pulled one of the recommended medicines for gonorrhea because there's too much antibiotic resistance to it. Oh. So we used to treat gonorrhea with two drugs. One is called ceftriaxone. The other one is azithromycin, which lots of folks have taken, called a Z-Pack. People take it for respiratory stuff all the time. Urinary tract infections, all kinds of stuff. It's a miracle drug. So people have been using it a lot in the community. And a lot of people tried it for COVID because Trump said it was a good idea. And by the way, it's not, just so you know. But now we can't use that drug to treat gonorrhea anymore. So we are down to one drug in this country, Tammy, one. And so if we lose the ability to, to use it, there are a couple of things in the pipeline, but you know how this works with clinical trials. You can't just throw a new drug out there without having going through all of the rigmarole. And we're not ready to push a new drug out into the population. So we have to be really careful um, about this one drug that we have left. And that's why, that's why I'm encouraging people like, hey, this is not a time to let down your guard. Using barriers with people you don't know until you know some more about them is a good idea right now because of this issue that we have with gonorrhea. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh, but I'm here in LA, okay, right next to Hollywood. Yeah. And all I can think of is the next big disaster movie is that we're all dying of gonorrhea. Like the, oh, no, the next I don't think big so. pandemic is there's no drugs left for gonorrhea. <laughs> Everyone has it. We're all <laughs> passing it down. Oh my God. Well, you know what they had to do in England, Tammy, is there was a couple of folks who could not be cured with the one drug that we have. So those folks got admitted to the hospital and they got IV antibiotics for three days. And so there are things that we can treat you with in the hospital, but do we really want to be sending people to the hospital for gonorrhea? No, Come there's on. no beds left. People, That's people, what I'm are, saying. people are in the parking lot here. <laughs> no, you right, can't. Right. No, and then you're going to get gonorrhea and COVID from the oh hospital. God. So just, That's really a, a dire consequence. <laughs> so, so I'm telling people right now, If you're sleeping with strangers, which I say, hey, if you've been waiting this long in the pandemic and you want to get out there, get out there. But right now, if you don't know people well and you don't know their STI status, barriers are really important right now. You don't want to be getting gonorrhea and, you know, have a situation where you can't be treated. So what happens if gonorrhea goes untreated? Like, like just just to cheer us up? Like, what happens? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, for folks that get it in the penis, it would just be very painful and uncomfortable. And then it can go into the testicles and it can cause infertility and inflammation there. And no one wants to deal with that. 
no one wants their, you know, their balls to be in pain. And then, you know, as we mentioned for female bodied folks, they can develop infertility and they can develop pelvic inflammatory disease, which is really painful sometimes. So, you know, I, I am not here to scare anybody because I love for people to enjoy their sex lives and have a good time. I just being a realist of the fact that this is the one, you know, one bacteria that I am concerned about and using barriers is incredibly effective at preventing it. So the message is if you don't want your penis and your balls to swell up and, <laughs> and, and become incredibly painful, then use a damn condom. That's what Dr. Park is leaving us with. The final yeah. message is- And then is, get tested. Get tested. Yes. There's no drugs get left tested. for gonorrhea. And so, <laughs> and so you better wear that condom if you don't want your balls swelling up and falling off. Well, and then if you, you know, you guys decide like, hey, the sex is good. This is going well. Like, let's not use condoms anymore. Right. Everyone gets tested. The tests are super easy, really accurate. And if you, neither of you has any STIs, then go for it. But in the beginning, when you don't know people's status, you know, please right now. Yeah. No one, no one wants gonorrhea. Trust Use her. a barrier. Trust Dr. Yes. Ina. No one wants gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last question before we end. Where do people get tested? Like, how do they do it? And how, what's the easiest way? So if folks want to find a clinic near them that's offering STD testing, there's get tested. So all one word, .cdc.gov is a, is a good place for folks to go. And then if people want to stay in touch with me, they can find me on Twitter at Ina Park MD, as well as at my website, which is just Ina Park, all one word, .net. Perfect. Dr. Ina, thank you so much for being with us today on The Trouble With Sex. Well, thank you, Dr. Tammy. It was my pleasure. It was really fun. Even on such a like a tough topic, it was just really fun to have you. And I really enjoyed talking to you. Oh, thank you. I'm happy with what you're doing out there. You know, your show is so sex positive. Thank you for having me. It's nice to meet people who are trying to do the same thing that I'm trying to do here. Yeah, well, we got to save the world. You know, I can't have everyone talk from God. <laughs> I know. But honestly, honestly, Tammy... When I read this, I read these reports of these poor people that had to get hospitalized in the UK. And I was like, oh my God, we just cannot go there. No, we cannot and you know go what? There. People are going to listen to this and, and they're going to say, you know what? Dr. Ina and Tammy warned us. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, that's right. When the movie comes out, they're going to go, we should have listened. So I'm Let just like, saying. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm just saying <laughs> it's coming. So please, yeah. please, sexy listeners, get tested. Find out where in our show notes at thetroublewithsex.com. To find out more from Dr. Ina Park, you can go to her website. You can also find her book anywhere books are sold. Thank you all for joining us. And please write to me, ask Dr. Tammy a question if you want your question answered on the next episode of The Trouble With Sex. Until next time, hold that thought and stay sexy. Have a question about your relationship, your sex life, or sexual wellness? Visit thetroublewithsex.com and click on Ask Dr. Tammy to send me your question. For sex-positive tips, live events, and updates, join my mailing list and follow us at The Trouble With Sex on Instagram. The Trouble With Sex is produced by Brandy Savitt and Jane Applegate. Our audio is designed by Flavor Lab, New York City. This episode was recorded by Bruce Hirschfield and mixed by J.C. Chow. Music by Bruce Hirschfield. Bruce Hirschfield.